and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. As we near the end, if you're here for the first time, that's fine, but we've been in Mark a very long time, and as we're nearing the end of this journey through the gospel of Mark, a closer look at the life and teachings of Jesus, the event that we're going to look at today happened on a Thursday. It happened on a Thursday of that most amazing week ever. The most amazing week in the history of mankind. Jesus and his 11 disciples, he had 12, but on this occasion only 11 were with him. Jesus and 11 of his disciples had just left a place where they had eaten a meal, a meal that we now call or refer to as the Last Supper. Jesus and 11 of the disciples had just left this room and they were making their way to a new, a new place. Within hours, within just a few hours, Jesus would be arrested later on on that Thursday night. Hours after that, Jesus would be crucified. He would be hung on a cross much rougher looking than that cross. On that cross, he would die for the sins of mankind. Only he could do that because only he was the Son of God. And on the third day following that crucifixion, Jesus would be resurrected from the dead. That's what we're going to celebrate two weeks from today. But here in Mark chapter 14, Jesus knew all of that was ahead. He knew that all of that was coming just down the road ahead of him. He had told some of his disciples, he had, he had given them some information that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Jesus, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to be resurrected. But the, the disciples really didn't have a whole lot to hang that on. How, how do you... How do you think or, or conceptualize of something that is so far out there from, be, their, from their experience, how do you think about process all of that? They didn't know, they couldn't comprehend everything that was about to happen. But Jesus knew, Jesus knew. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 14, <clears throat> verses 32 and following reads this way. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. So Jesus was in this garden that that's called Gethsemane. He's along with his disciples. Again, uh, Judas has left at this point. He left early from the Last Supper. So he takes the other, and the other disciples weren't really sure why he left. They, they, they probably didn't put it together that he was about to betray Jesus. 
But Jesus, along with 11 of his disciples, make his way to this garden called Gethsemane. And then it says he, he tells most of them to stay here to a certain place. And then he took, he took three of those disciples a little bit further. And he speaks to them. I mentioned this a couple, of, a couple of months ago on another occasion where Jesus singled out these same three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and how he seemed to often do that for whatever reason, and we're not exactly sure the reason, but Jesus singled them out. It wasn't because he loved them, but I believe he was preparing them for something that the others would not experience. I mentioned then, so I mentioned now, there are people that you know fellow followers of Jesus Christ, that God is preparing for other things, and if he does certain things in them that he doesn't do in you, it doesn't mean that he loves you less or more. It means that he's preparing them for other things. Some of you feel like, why is God allowing me to do this? Why do I have this opportunity? Why is he having me go through this thing? Because he's shaping you for what's ahead. And this is one of those occasions. And he tells these three disciples. Now remember, picture this in your mind. There are eight of the disciples that are here. He takes three of the disciples a little bit further, and they are here, and he speaks to them. He told these three disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Uh, uh, The the wording that is used here in the Greek language, he says, my soul is very sorrowful. Um, It was, you could also translate it, in fact, in some translations it may say this, it is enveloped or it is wrapped in sorrow. Jesus is the son of God. He he is divine, and yet he's also human, and he's sharing with his disciples. He didn't have to tell them this, but I'm really glad that he did because we see the humanity of Jesus here. To put it in our words, he said, my heart is breaking. This is, my my heart is so sorrowful, even to the point of death, death, it it is so crushing on me. It's enveloped, it's wrapped up. Jesus was being very, very real, not with all of them, but he's sharing this with those three. Now look at verse 35. Verse 35 and following are very, very important. It says this, going a little further, Jesus fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So again, here's Jesus. He takes 11 of his disciples from that room where they had eaten the Last Supper. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He tells eight of them to stay here. He takes three a little bit further, gives them some instructions. And then it says he alone went farther. He even went, so you have one person, three persons, eight persons. And Jesus begins to pray this prayer. And you have it here before you. We call it uh, the Gethsemane prayer. This is the Gethsemane prayer of Jesus. It is one of the most powerful and most personal of Jesus' prayers. Now, we know other prayers that Jesus prayed. You know, the Lord's Prayer. That's one that many here have memorized. It's a very powerful prayer. It's a, it's a very meaningful prayer. There's, there's a lot to it, a lot of layers to that. 
There's also a prayer like what we refer to that he prayed earlier called the high priestly prayer. He prayed that in the, in the upper room, and, or excuse me, in the, uh, the site of the Last Supper. He, he prayed that there. He, there are a number of other times that it records Jesus. This is the Gethsemane prayer, and it, <clears throat> it is one of the most personal prayers that we have him, that we have a record of him praying. But beyond that, for you and me, it's also one of the most important prayers that we can pray. Let me say that again. You have this prayer before you. It is Jesus' Gethsemane prayer, but I believe it's one of the most important prayers that you and I can pray. So let's just drill down in this a little bit. I want you to notice, first of all, it says in verse 35, actually before he started praying, it says, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, I, I have read the Gospel of Mark many times. I've read this passage many times. But until recently, I never noticed the phrase, he fell to the ground. Just please notice that for a moment. It says he fell to the ground. Picture that in your minds. Remember, eight disciples, it's at night. They've eaten. It's been a long day. He leaves eight disciples here. He takes three to gives them some specific instructions. He goes a little bit further, and I want you to picture in your mind, he just falls to the ground. His, his knees bend. He drops down. It, it's not that he slowly got down. It says he fell to the ground. I want you to understand the emotional, if we can at all, if we can understand, I don't know that I can understand, but, but understand that Jesus was under tremendous emotional and spiritual weight. There was an enormous weight of uh, emotion and, and, and spiritual weight upon him. It, it must have been almost unbearable. Understand the, the context in which this is happening. Jesus certainly knew that there was a physical ordeal that was just ahead of him. Hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had written, directed by the Holy Spirit, uh, giving some of the details of what would happen physically to Jesus. Not only did he have that, but I believe that the, the Father had revealed some things to him. He knew that in the hours ahead, he was going to be brutalized physically. His back would be beaten uh, a crown, rough crown made of thorns, a mock crown made of thorns would be thrust upon his head and beaten down onto his scalp with a stick. He would be punched. Pieces of his beard would be ripped out. He would be pinned, pinned with nails to a cross. He would fight for every breath. He would be dehydrated. He would suffer physically unlike perhaps almost anyone has ever suffered. But beyond that, he also knew that the sin of mankind would be placed upon him. You have to understand, this is a person who has never sinned. Every one of us has, has sinned. Every one of us have, have gone against God's word. And we know that, boy, that, that the weight of that. And you go, ah, oh, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. I feel bad. And you run to Jesus and he for, thank God he forgives us. But, but we all understand the we all understand the, the heaviness and the shame of sin. We all know that. Jesus did not. He'd never experienced sin. He'd never sinned. He'd been tempted, the Bible says, in every way, but he never once gave in to sin. In just a few hours, all of the sin of all mankind would be placed upon him, the Bible says. 
All of the things that you've ever done would be placed upon Jesus. All of the, per, all of the sins of the person next to you that they had ever known, play, all of the sins of all of mankind would be placed upon Jesus. That alone, even I think beyond the physical, weighed upon Jesus. He knew, Jesus knew, that in the next few hours he would be rejected, he would be betrayed, he would be stripped and humiliated. So with all of that weighing upon him, no wonder he fell to the ground. No wonder he just, he just it was just so, so heavy. Now let me, let me pause in the narrative here for a moment. None of us here will ever know the weight of sin and the weight of that physical impending trauma that Jesus knew. None of us will ever carry the burden that Jesus carried, but we do carry and will carry many things that will weigh us down. I've seen some of you, I've seen many other people, watch them in their in how they carry themselves. I, I've seen people who just, there's so much upon them, on their mind, on their spirit, maybe on their body, there's so much upon them that they just, they just feel like they can't hardly put one foot in front of the other. Think back into your recent past. Has there been a time where you just, the, the things that are weighing on your spirit or on your mind affect your body and you just move slow? I've had in recent weeks, so have you, dear friends who lost a, a son, and a few days, the next day, I just, I was moving so slow. My heart was so heavy. You see, we all know from that or from other things, we, we know what it's like to just carry some of those burdens. We do care, and we will carry things that weigh heavily on us. But notice, please, that it says here that Jesus fell to the ground and prayed. You see that there? It says he fell to the ground and prayed. This was his first response. He did this because he'd done it so many times. You can go through all of the Gospels and you'll find occasions in which Jesus not necessarily fell to the ground, but times that Jesus prayed. It was his, it was his practice. When something happened, when there was a big decision to make, he went to prayer. When there was a, a death of a loved one, he went to prayer. When there was, a, when there was a, uh, 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 the overwhelming giving, the, the weight of, of giving of himself uh, to where he was physically and emotionally depleted, you would find him going to prayer. You find Jesus, this is often his first response when something happens, good, bad, joyous, whatever, he goes to his father in prayer. So this is not surprising where it says he fell to the ground and he began to pray. He'd done it because he'd done this so many times. Let me, let me just ask you, when you are carrying all of those things upon your shoulders, again, not even close to comparing it to Jesus, but we do carry heavy things. When you fall to the ground, what do you do? Do you pray? Do you seek the Lord? Here's, here's what some people do. They, they, they carry all of these things, and instead of falling to the ground and praying, they fall to the ground and they grab a bottle. 
Some people fall to the ground. They, I don't know what to do. So they, so they, they go and they become involved in some kind of a illicit relationship. There are some people who when the, the weight of this world comes upon them, they, they run to some life-controlling substance. There are some people when the, the weight of this world crushes them, they just they go on a big trip and they, or they spend a lot of money or they, they go do something and it, it doesn't fix it, it just kind of placates it. It just kind of subdues it. It distracts them. There are a lot of people who fall to the ground, so to speak, from the weight that is upon them, but they respond in the wrong way. I, I, I propose to you that when you are feeling that, instead of going and doing some of those things that will in time only make things worse, that you fall to the ground and pray. That you run to Him. May that be your first response when, when something bad happens, I need to run to Jesus seen that so many times. I've seen that in so many of you. And yet I've, I've been aware of so many who in, in, the, in the weight of the things that they carry, they fall to the ground or they, they run and they do something that is so, so destructive. Jesus, it says, fell to the ground and he prayed. And falling to the ground, he began praying these words, Abba, Father. You see that there as well. Two words, Abba, Father. That's how he started his prayer. Abba, Father. Abba was an expression. It was an Aramaic phrase or word. It was an expression of fondness. It was, a, it was like a word that a little child would use for a father. Some have likened the word Abba in that culture to our word for daddy. It is familial. It is close. It is intimate. It was a term of endearment, and Jesus could use it because there was a deep relationship between him and his father. So he falls to the ground. His first response is to go to his father in prayer. And he says, and I don't mean this flippantly, but he basically, in our vernacular, he said, Daddy, my father. It's a closeness. There's an intimacy there. Now, I know that their relationship was unique. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus was fully man and fully God all at the same time for this period of time, for these years. And that's hard to really get our head on, but he was in a physical body and yet he was nevertheless God. They had a unique relationship and and it was one unlike any of us will ever have. But because of what Jesus, listen to me, because of what Jesus did on the next day, on that Friday after this Thursday, because of what Jesus did, we too can have a close and intimate relationship with our heavenly father. And that's what I find, find so amazing about this. One of the things that Jesus, one of the most important things that, that Jesus did on that cross, in fact, the most important, is that he reconciled holy God to sinful mankind. It had been broken ever since Adam and Eve's time. But Jesus, Jesus bridged that gap through his sacrifice and, and he made it possible for us to come in that close and have a relationship with God. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, years later, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in verses 15 and 16 of Romans chapter 8, that if we are in Christ, then we are adopted by God. Isn't that kind of a neat picture? 
If you're in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ at some point in the last year, some point in the last 50 years, whenever it happened, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, great news, you've been adopted into his, his family. Not only does it say that we are adopted into his family, it says that as children of God, we, he's not talking about Jesus now, Paul wrote, he says, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Jesus said we can, excuse me, through the power of the, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote that we can come to the Father like Jesus came to the Father and cry out in our time of need, Daddy, help me. It's not being flippant. It speaks of an intimacy. This morning, if you are, if you, if you perceive God as someone who's, who's far away, he's the creator, and he is that, but He's the creator, and he's very distant. He's so remote. He's so big. He's so enormous. He's so awesome. All of that is true. But I want you to also understand that he's very close. One of my favorite references also in, in the book of Hebrews is, is it says uh, that because of what Jesus accomplished, we can run to the Father and find grace to help us. We can approach the throne of God boldly and find grace to help us in our time of need. I want you to understand, if you don't know this already, some of you know this, but I tell you, at any moment of any day, you can run to the Father and say, without, without, a, a lack, without, any, without any disregard or disrespect, we can come to him and say, Father, Daddy, help me. This is how Jesus began his prayer. And then Jesus, praying, Abba, Father, he then prayed, all things are possible for you. All things are possible for you. I want you to get a hold of that. All things are possible for you. You understand, Jesus, again, being a part of the divinity, he, he understood, he was present. He knew that God can do anything. He knew that, that, that the, the Father was limitless in his power and his authority. So this was not a, a new revelation. He's not, he's not saying something for the first time. He knew this, that everything is possible for God. But here's, here's how it relates to us. When you and I encounter painful things, or when you and I encounter overwhelming things, when we face what seems to be impossible things, it's good to remember that all things are possible with God. I want you to get a hold of that. Some of you need to hear that more than anything else today, that all things are possible with God. Some of you are facing some really big things and some real big impossibilities. Let me tell you something. All things are possible with God. I remember talking with someone <clears throat> several years ago. I had conversations like this many times, but one in particular I was talking with someone, and I said, you know, man, God can help you with that. And this man said, God doesn't do that anymore. And I said, all things are possible with God. And some people think, well, God doesn't operate in my life that way. Well, all things are possible with God. But you don't understand, the thing that I'm facing is so big that it's, it's, it's really an impossibility. No, all things are possible with God. And what Jesus declared that day, we can declare this day, and that is that all things are possible with God. 
Some of you really need to get that in your spirit today. All things are possible with God. What you are facing is not an inevitability. It is not an impossibility. All things are possible with God. See, there's no time. All things are possible. There's no hope. All things are possible with God. There's no help. All things are possible with God. Declare it. Stand upon that. If I didn't have that single truth, folks, I have to tell you, if I didn't believe that, I could not do what God calls me to do. I could not do what God calls me to do. But what gives me hope and what gives me strength is all things are possible with God. Jesus declared it and so can we. And then he prayed, remove this cup from me. You see it there. Remove this cup from me. Why would Jesus pray that? I mean, isn't that what he came to do? Jesus was about 33 years old at this point. 33 years before this, actually long, even before that, of course, conceived in, in Mary's womb, uh, Jesus has, the Bible says he, he humbled himself and became a man. He, he God became mankind. Uh, more than 33 years before, Jesus had humbled himself and had become human. Uh, he, he, he had chosen to do this long before. He knew that this was the Father's plan. He knew that Jesus knew that he needed to become the sacrifice for our sins. He, he, he'd been working on this for almost 34 years. Why would he pray this now? Remove this cup from me. Again, we see here his humanity. Jesus is fully God, but he's fully man, and he's, he's seen this, this ordeal spiritual and physical ordeal that's ahead of him. And he's basically saying this, if there is any other way, can we do that? And if you think about this, understanding this whole scenario that Jesus was in here in this garden called Gethsemane, it would have been so easy for Jesus to flee into the Judean wilderness just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. The... Garden of Gethsemane is on the western slope of what's called the Mount of Olives. It's a rather large hill. It goes into a valley, and then the valley comes up a little bit, and there you have the city of Jerusalem. Jesus knows that all of the things that are going to happen are going to be happening, and he's looking to the, to the, uh, the, the west. He's looking to the west, and he's seeing all this. In fact, it's nighttime, so he's, he's able to see the temple guard come with their torches, making their way to him later on. Jesus knows that all he has to do is slip up a little bit up the mountain, over the mountain, and suddenly he is in the Judean wilderness, which then and now is, is, is extremely remote, and you can disappear very, very easily. Jesus knew all he had to do to escape all of this turmoil that's just ahead of him is just to stand up and walk over that to the other side of that mountain. Jesus could have run. Jesus could have run. But he didn't. He didn't. He said, remove this cup from me. We'll get to the next part here in a moment. But he could have run, but he didn't. Romans chapter 12, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, says that Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was before him. Why did Jesus stay there? Because he knew that there was something on the other side of the cross. Why did Jesus stay there and allow himself to be arrested? Later on, allow himself to be beaten. Even after that, allow himself to, to die on that cross, be nailed to that cross and die on Why did he do that? 
because he knew that on the other side of that cross, remember for 33 years, he's been seeing the suffering of humanity. He's been seeing all of this, all of this pain, all of this agony in the world around him. And he knows that the only way that we can fix this is for me to go to that cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, it says in Hebrews 12. So instead of fleeing, instead of walking away, Jesus stayed and Jesus prayed. I want you to get that. Instead of walking away or running away, it says Jesus stayed and Jesus prayed. Aren't you glad? How many here are very glad that Jesus stayed and prayed? Because because of that, because of that, we have new life in Christ. Now again, there are some, back to you and I, the, the things that we face are nothing compared to what Jesus endured. But there are things that he wants you to do. Listen to me. There are some things that he wants you to do. There are some things that he wants to lead you through that are difficult, things that are stretching. There are things ahead of you that will threaten your nicely arranged world, my nicely arranged world. There are things ahead of you and things ahead of me that will impose into our carefully guarded schedule. There are some things ahead of you that will change your familiar. But instead of running into a secure place, you need to stay and you need to pray. There are some of you that is really settling into your spirit and into your mind right now because you're facing something. You're about to face something. You know that you're in God's will, but it is difficult and it's just ahead of you. And there's a part of you that just wants to head over the mountain and into the wilderness and flee from it. And I'm telling you that what you need to do if this is God's will and he has put it in front of you, instead of running and fleeing, you need to stay and you need to pray. A lot of times people think, you know, we just saw Jerry and Amy and their family up here. And some of you are saying, wow, that is so great. You know, God's calling them to go. Boy, it must be really difficult to go. And it is. It is. When God calls us to go and do something that we've never done before, it can be extremely difficult. But let me tell you something. It can also be extremely difficult to stay when we want to go. And there are some of you that you just want to run and God is saying, no, you need to stay and you need to pray because what I'm leading you into is going to be difficult, but I have a purpose. There is some joy on the other side of this cross if you stay and if you pray. And other lives are going to be changed because you stay instead of flee. Some of you have been running from things for years and I'm telling you that those days are over. You need to stay and you need to pray and you need to face it. There are some of you that keep going in vicious cycles. God brings you around and says, are you going to trust me now? And you go, with your actions, you go, no. And, and, and then you go through a really difficult time. And then God says, now are you going to do it? N -n no. And you go around again. And listen, it's time to stop going in that cycle. It is time for you to say, I'm going to stay and I'm going to pray. And whatever God has for me, I'm going to do this. Come what may. Because he has a purpose. Jesus stayed and prayed. I'm so glad that he did. Sometimes we need to stay. We need to pray. Again, Jesus prayed, remove this cup from me. And yet with the very next breath, with the very next breath, he prayed, yet not what I will, but what you will. Remember, he's talking to his father, his daddy. He's saying, if, if, there's, if there's another way, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. Do you realize 
Jesus prayed a prayer that God did not answer him in the way that he wanted. Now that's going to mess with some of your theology. You know, everything that Jesus prayed for happened. No, on this one occasion, he said, if it's possible, let this, another, trans, another uh, one of the gospels says, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. It's one of the most important elements of this prayer. It's one of the most important elements of this prayer. Jesus prayed, not what I will, but what you will. It was Jesus declaring that doing his Father's will was more important than his own will. That the Father's plan was greater than his desires. Again, I bring it down to you and I. There's really only one thing that you must do in life as a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is to do his will instead of your will. Now, there's a lot of different facets to that. I get that. And how that all breaks down is we can talk a lot about that. But really, when it comes down to is, is are you going to do your thing or are you going to do his thing? Some of you have been doing your own thing, and you can't do your own thing. You've got to do his thing. Some of you have just, you know, it's, it, when it comes between God's plan and your desires, your desires have won again and again and again. And I'm saying it's got to stop because if you really want to do what God's calling you to do, if you really want to be what God wants you to be, then it's, it's no longer my desires and my feelings and my, my plans and my purposes that, are, that, that trump everything else. No, it's, it's his plan above my plan. And it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple, but that's it. It's a successful Christian life is saying, not my will, but your will be done. And I want you to get that. He said, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Less than 24 hours after this prayer, less than 24 hours, far less than 24 hours after this prayer, Jesus would die on that cross. But before Jesus died on that cross, before he gave his life on that cross, before he died on the cross, he died to himself there in a garden called Gethsemane. We all know about the cross. We hang it in churches. We put it over churches. We wear it around our necks. We put it in our homes. Some have it dangling from an ear. We put the cross in a lot of... We all know about the cross, but the cross would not have happened had Jesus not first died in an obscure place called Gethsemane. You see, before there is public death to something, there's often private deaths to, to something. And some of you are facing some things and it's heavy. God's leading you into some things and it's a little bit scary. But I tell you this, fall to the ground, seek the Lord, and seek His will above yours and you're going to be okay. It's going to bring you through. He's going to bring you through. In, 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 you're going to be a different person on the other side of that cross. That thing that's before you, you're going to be a different person. He's got a plan and He's got a purpose for your life. I want you to join me in the Gethsemane prayer. As I've been preparing this over these last 
several weeks, actually a couple of months, been working on this particular message. And, and boy, I've had to pray this. I've had to pray elements of this because whatever I bring, God seems to lead me through first. And I've had to pray this. I want you to be praying this as well. It's not as familiar as the Lord's Prayer. It's a powerful prayer. I'd like you to stand with me, please. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll go ahead and come. Thank you for leading us earlier. I'd like you to lead us in a song that we did sing earlier, and that is, Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. There's another line in there that says, uh, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. No turning back. Again, as I shared earlier, some of you are tempted to run. And God's saying, no, you stay and pray. Some of you are wanting to escape that thing that the Lord has placed in front of you, and, and God is saying, no, I have a purpose for that in your life. And we want to sing this song together. In a moment, I'm going to pray. We've done this in recent weeks. Uh, going to pray, close our time in prayer, and then open up these altars. The worship team is going to continue to pray. If you need to go right away, just go right away. It's, you, some may have some plans. But, um, but you're free to stick around and just worship the Lord for a time. If you need to go, go. Just, just don't, just go. Not, not a problem. But I also want, some of you need to just fall to the ground and pray. Some of you need to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to stay instead of run. Some of you are saying, all right, the cross is, is in front of me. That Whatever that cross might be, that, that death to self. And I want you to really personalize this now in these next few moments. So, close in prayer. If you need to go, God bless you. Spend some time with the Lord. Saying, Lord, make this message from Mark chapter 14 real in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for these people. They've come from so many different places. They've come with so many different things. This message that you had me bring have, has so many elements to it. I believe that different parts spoke to different people. I pray that when we leave this place, in the moments ahead or in the hours ahead, when we leave this place, we will know, leave knowing that we've heard from you and that you've spoken to us. Christ, Jesus, you are enough for me. This world says I need so much, but I really don't. What I really need is you. To do your will above my own. Help me to die to self. That's really what I need to Before I die to anything, I need to die to self. I need to do your will above my own. We pray these things. We go when we go, the power of your spirit be used of you so that others in time, in the weeks to come, will know you and serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning. Let's sing it together. Christ is enough for me.
Yeah. 